So I'm going to give a very simple, straightforward question for you. When it gets really, really, really hard, will you trust God? I can tell you how many times I've watched people walk away as a pastor. It's really hard. God should not treat me like this. Deserve this. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm a good person. Go to church. I give an offering. I pray my prayers. So I'll ask you again. When it gets really, really hard, will you trust God and believe God when you hold fast to God? You know, God doesn't need to know if you will, He already knows. You need to know. You need to know. God says, here I am. You decide to trust me in the storm. And can I say to you, beloved, the storm's going to come. The storm's going to come. Most of you reached the circle of Egypt. You understand about storms. The storm will come. If you, particularly if you're a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, the storm will come. Your faith will be tested. It will be tested. Not that God needs to know if it's real. You need to know if it's real. God already knows. So the Lord says, you decide if you love me more than my blessing. You decide. This is one of the issues with Job. The most prosperous man in the East, right? Tons and tons and tons of livestock, which was the, the, the great measure of wealth in that day. God says, you decide if you want me more than you want anything. Bring it into the modern context. Anybody claims a God? You want the biblical God or do you want the cartoon Santa Claus? Genie in the bottle. God, I want to begin with a story. Some of you will be familiar with this story, I think. This those of you that were out for a I've used it before. It was July 1967, and a beautiful 17-year-old woman dove into the murky waters of Chesapeake Bay. She woke up in the hospital and her fifth cervical vertebra. Fractured, she would be a quadruple. She writes, I lay there hour after hour, staring at the floor. All I could think was, Way to go, God. I'm a brand new Christian. I prayed for a closer walk with you. If this is your idea of an answer to prayer, I'm never going to trust you again. I can't believe I have to lay uh, face down in this stupid torture rack. I hate this existence. She continues, My thoughts got darker and darker, no longer. Was my bitterness a tiny trickle? It became a raging torrent. I was done. I was broken. I can't do this. I can't live like this. I would rather die than face this. Oh, God, I don't have the strength to face this. I would rather die. So we'll come back to her just a bit. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Job chapter 1. I just want to say it's been five years since I've preached Job. I think that's ministerial malpractice. I think. Job is a foundational, a fundamental book that you, you need to be familiar with. You need to have some mastery of. You need to understand what's at issue and what's going on here. I, I think the book of Job is a way of separating the sheep from the goats. I had a friend a long time ago. He just walked off. He said, I can't take Job. You know, what's, what, what got him was, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He could not get over that. Job separates the sheep from the goats. It separates pseudo-Christianity from biblical Christianity. You know? Are you believing in Santa Claus? Or do you love Jehovah? Which one is it? Which one is it? 
So I think it's an important message that needs to be talked about on a regular basis. And it was the men's Bible study that prompted me. We were looking at Job Thursday evening, and I thought, you know, this is bad. How long has it been? It's been five years. So you guys know the story. Let's pick up here. Chapter 1, verse 1. You know the story. There was a man in the land of us. His name was Job. He was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 3 there, he had tons of livestock, right? He was the greatest man in all of the east. Pick up here at verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, that means angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. Yes, this is mysterious. It is something that God has allowed. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? He exclaimed, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God from nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now it happened on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine and their oldest brother's house, the messenger came to Job. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you this. So we see the evil of mankind, right? Right there in that verse. Satan is, is involved in the evil of mankind. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the light and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So we see natural. Right? Verse 17. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the, the, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants. And the edge was, from the edge of the sword, I alone have escaped. Again, we see we see the evil of mankind. Verse 18. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons. And your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the people, the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped. So tell me. So I know none of you have ever had a day like that. Some of you have had some really hard days. And at my age, you might suspect I can say the same. But for Job. His whole life just exploded, right? His whole life just seemed to fail. This is perfect anguish. It is utter despair. It made me think of Luke 22, 31. You remember Jesus is walking along and he turns to Peter and he says, Satan has demanded to sit you like wheat. You guys know the text, right? He just turns to him out of the blue. He says, Satan has demanded to have you. If you look at the, the Greek there, this, this, this term sift like wheat, it means to bring you to the point of overthrowing your faith. This is what's being said. Satan has demanded the opportunity to seek to overthrow your faith. 
The interesting thing here is what sovereign God allows it. It's what we see in Job's life too. Sovereign God allows it. Again, we have to be biblical, right? What what Satan means for evil, tell me, tell me, God means for. You gotta know this. You gotta know this biblical right? Sovereign God allows it. We'll come back to um, Luke 22, 31 in just a bit. So what will Job do in the storm? You know, probably. The, the, the more important question is, what will you do? What will you do when it comes? When the storm comes? I'm standing here, and I'm telling you it's coming. It will come. What does God expect you to do to be ready when it comes? You don't wait till it comes and then throw up your hands. God needs for you to be ready when it comes. I want you to decide this morning, right? I want you to decide this morning what you'll do when the storm comes. This is not an academic question because the storm is coming. It's what we saw in 1 Peter. It's necessary. God will test your faith. It's necessary. It's, it's necessary, God says. You either believe that or you don't. God is not capricious. God is not doing things for no reason. It's necessary that your faith be tested. So, and as we saw there in that first Peter text, what's at stake when your faith is tested? Not only the validity of your faith, you claim to be a Christian. Listen, warn your friends and your neighbors. Do not claim to be a Christian if you're not. Do not claim to be one if you're not. The glory of Christ is at stake, right? If you claim to be a Christian but live like the world, you're blaspheming Christ with your life every day. These are important things. And we handle them so superficially. At times, let me pick up here. I've heard the book of Job described as a lesson on why Christians suffer. That's not even close to, to what this book is about. It's why do men and women still love God when they lose everything? Why? Because it's not about the blessing of God. It's about God. As Piper writes, God is the gospel. God's the good news. Not a giant portfolio, three cars, and five houses. That's not the good news. The good news is that Christ has redeemed us from hell. That's the good news. And if God takes everything, we have that. Right? We have that. Satan can't have that. He can't take that. He may take everything else. With God's permission. You can't take that. You cannot take that. And you know, Satan hates it. He hates it when men and women love God in the storm. So if you want to put a sharp stick in, uh, in Satan's eye, you know how to do it. Love God in the storm. But let me ask you, raise the question, why do you serve God? Why do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you come to church? Why do you do it? Just trying to get enough blessing? Just trying to keep God working for you? It's because you love him. Okay. Let's just get down to it. Why? 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 Why do you profess to serve God? You know, we talked a little bit about last week, this utilitarian view of God, right? I just want just want to 
Yeah, I want to be associated with God because I think maybe some blessing will fall over on me. I just want, I want the blessing. I want, I want an easy life. I want health. I want wealth. I want prosperity. I, I want things to go well. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe that, that if I if I pray some prayers or or if I do some good works or if I live morally or if I go to church or if I give an offering, you know, maybe it'll go well for me. Did you notice that was Satan's allegation against Job to God? Did you notice? Why does why does Job serve God? Because it's good for business. That's why. This is Satan's accusation against Job. It's Satan's accusation against you and against me. It's good for business. That's why. That's the only reason. Because you've hedged him up. And you have blessed him. He's making that accusation against me, right? Now, Jim only loves you because it's because it works out well for him. That's only Jim loves you. So how is it with you? Do you love the blessings of God more than you love God, if it all goes away, I mean, if it all goes away, do you worship God? You know, we have that great verse, First Peter 5, 8. Peter says, your adversary, of course, that's the devil, that prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, he's writing a Christian book, okay? He's talking about... Hey, Satan's got the rest of the world. He's after you. He's got the rest of the world. He wants you. That's who he wants, right? He wants those who profess to be Christians. And, and Satan desires to show to God and everybody in your orbit that you only love God because it's good for business. That's the only reason. There is no deeper reason. There is no deeper reason. Refuse to profess to be a Christian. I love what John MacArthur says about this text. He says, Satan accuses men to God, and he accuses God to men, right? I think that's I think that's a beautiful and very true sentiment. So Satan is accusing God to Job right now. It's his worst day. You've heard this in your head before, right? God's not there. He is there. He didn't care about you, man. He's got more important things to do. You're not important. He doesn't love you. He has no concern for you. He's not God enough to protect you. I'll do whatever I want. You're at the, you know, you're at the, the mercy of the winds of the world. The mercy of fate, right? The, 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 yeah. So you've, you've heard these kinds of things probably in your head before. If God loved you, why would this happen? Why would he allow this to happen? I can't tell you how many times I've had that question. Some of you have had it as well. Well, let's see what Job does. And I hope that you and I can honestly confess, although we, we don't have the grace to maybe envision it now, we can see ourselves doing this. I want you to see what Job does. Verse 20, chapter 1. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. And what did he do? What does your text say? He whined to God endlessly. Now, he's going to whine a little bit later. But right now, he does exactly the right thing. He worships. So he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though uh, Through all of this, Job, you got to love it, did not sin nor blame God. 
Good theology. That is good theology. Let me ask you, would you worship God in this situation? Could you worship God in this situation if he took everything? Would you still love it? You know, I, I know people who left the church, you know, when it got really bad. And they just actually had someone very close to my family like this. They get they get they get so mad at God. How dare God do this in my life, right? How dare God allow this in my life? How dare God? I've been a good Christian all my life. How dare God? That's about those weren't the exact words that were spoken, but that was what's was coming off the line. And uh, it's one of the saddest things that I have ever witnessed. If God took everything, would you still love him? Is it really just about the blessings? Is your love for God conditioned? Job worships, but the sifting is not yet complete. Let me summarize chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So again, there was another day, and sons of God were coming before the Lord, and Satan was among them. Verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, he holds fast, he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him and ruined him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone as his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. So his world is destroyed, and now he's experiencing physical trauma as well. In the face of all this, Job holds fast to God. You gotta love, you gotta love uh, verse 10, right? Verse 10. Let's just go ahead and pick up here in uh yeah, verse. Let me go ahead and read verse 7. So Satan went out and smote Job with sores and boils from the, the sole of his foot and, and crowned his head. And he took a broken piece of pottery and he scraped himself as he was sitting among the ashes. And his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? Man, you got to have that. You got to have that verse in your theological lexicon, right? You got to have that verse right there. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin. It was not a sin for Job to say this adversity was from God. It was not a sin. He tells us. The Bible tells us. He knows it's from God. And what I want to say to you, one of the most beautiful things here. See, Job doesn't pay any attention to secondary causes. We know a secondary, we know the secondary causes, Satan, we understand. He pays no attention to the secondary. This equation. But what I want to say to you, I want to point out something very beautiful here. It's just beautiful theology. It's wonderful theology. It's deep, pristine. It's biblical. Note the, the adversity is from God, chapter 2, verse 10, but he does not blame God, chapter 1, verse 22. Okay? Can you do that? I was listening to MacArthur this last week. I was telling the men Thursday night. He was talking about that where, where, where Paul says that God is, that his wisdom and his ways are unsearchable and unfathomable. You know, you, sometimes you simply will not know what God is doing. You cannot plumb the depth of what God is doing. And I want to ask you this question. Is that okay with you if you can't plumb the depth of it? Do you want to understand all that God is doing? Hey, can I tell you? Uh, you won't. You won't ex uh, be able to explain all that God is doing. And he won't explain it to you. But down to faith and trust. 
We're down to personal relationship. We're down to I love him no matter what comes. This is what real Christianity is all about. I love him no matter what comes, right? This is what you gotta love him. The adversity is from God, chapter 2, verse 10, but if he does not blame God, chapter 1, verse 22. He holds fast to God, he doesn't understand what's going on. But he's okay with not understanding what's going on, at least for the moment. He's going to be asking a few questions a little bit later. But at least for the moment, he's found solace in who God is. So I'll ask you, do you love God like that? Do you trust God like that? Is it okay not to understand? Job has lost everything, including his theology. What was his theology? Was that simplistic theology that was still alive and well in the first century when Jesus was walking the earth, right? That God always blesses the righteous and he always he always afflicts the wicked. Well, this is this is unbelievably superficial. All you have to do is read the Bible. And I'll obviously look around a little bit. This is a false and superficial kind of, you know, really has to be particularly bright to see that this is yeah, superficial to be honest. Job did God promise. Just like I've got it, I'm just gonna guess. Can I tell you what God's going to do with your box? He's going to blow it up. If you got God in a box, He's going to blow it up. It's blasphemous to God in a box. You say, Jim, I don't understand how the, ad how the adversity can be from God, but He doesn't blame God. I don't understand that. I don't like that. It doesn't compute for me. You love God when you can't understand. Really? You don't understand. When, when, you, when, when the theology is so deep, it's it's unfathomable and unsearchable to you. Are you still love God? If you have God in a box, I want to read you a quote from John Bible. A little bit lengthy, but it's it's one of my most. Piper writes the vision of God in relation to evil and suffering in the church is frivolous today. The church has been has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible against the overwhelming weight of seriousness. Pardon me, weight and seriousness of the Bible. Much of the church is choosing to become more light, more shallow, more entertainment oriented. Therefore, it has become successful in its irrelevance to massive suffering and evil in the world. The popular God of fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in his hand. The Bible explodes such trivial notions. If you want it, I'll send you my notes. I think this is an incredibly valuable quote. I love the book of Job. It makes me get on my face makes me worship the Almighty God. No more trivial notions about the Almighty that I see Him. If He came in here with a trivial notion, I'm hoping that God will blow it up. I know I can't do it, but maybe the Holy Spirit will do it. No more infantile. No more of this silliness before God. No more. Hey, you guys know, right? You only got a few days left. You got your, your vapor. As compared to eternity, you have nothing left. 
So what will you do with it? Of course, Satan means it's evil, but God means it for good. Satan says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Then he says, shall we accept good from God and not accept the mercy? It's okay with Job, but he does not understand. God's best gift to his children is not temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. It is a breathtaking glimpse of himself. And that's what Job is going to get. Those of you who are familiar with the text understand that. Now, the next 30-something chapters, he has three friends who come and exacerbate his torment. Okay? With the whole, if you hadn't sinned, this wouldn't happen to you. Right? With that, with that theology. So, so his friends come and exacerbate yeah, his pain. And Job has arrived at the same place our 17-year-old quadriplegic has arrived at, which is he wishes he were dead. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I want you to hear I want you to hear some of the, the comments that Job makes through these 30-something chapters, right? Listen to him now, okay? He starts to wonder. He starts to, he starts to think about it. And you won't be able to follow me, but just listen. If, again, if you want the references, I'll send them to you. Job 10, 1 and 2. Job says, I'll give my full complaint. I give my full complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you have contended with me, okay? This is how old he is. Job 13.3, I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue with God. Job 23.3-4, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job 31.35, oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Okay? It's, uh, in, his, in his pain, anguish, it's a little bit bold. Well, as you know, God does answer. While under no obligation to do so, God's never promised to answer your questions. He very rarely does answer my questions. That's been my experience. And uh, But I want you to notice how God answers, and I want you to notice what God does and what he does not so if you'll turn over, let's pick up in Job 38, Job chapter 38. And I'm just going to give you a flavor here. I can't, I can't read all this text, but I'm going to give you the flavor here. Job 38, verse 1. And the Lord did answer Job out of the world when he said, Who are you who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God comes up, God comes to Job and he says, You don't know anything, Job. Why are you inquiring of me? Why are you questioning me? Why are you doubting me? You don't know anything. Verse 3, now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. You're going to question me? Okay, here's your qualifying exam. And God gives him 70 questions. How many does he get right? Anybody know? You want to question God? You're going to have to do better than Job on the exam. And let me just give you again the flavor of some of the things that God is saying here. Look at verse 12, chapter 38, verse 12. Have you ever commanded in your life the, the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Job, can you do that? Verse 16. Have you entered into the, the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? 
Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you know all this. Verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the constellation in season? Verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings uh, that, may, that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or who has given understanding to the mind? They turn over chapter 39, verse 19. Do you give the horse's might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap? Like the locust, verse 26, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Chapter 40, verse 1. So it gives him a little quiz here, right? The Lord says to Job, will the fault finder continue with me? Beloved, I, I always encourage you, right? You need to have, you need to have a ton of humility you need to have your hand over your mouth and probably your nose in the dirt. But we've not understood who we're dealing with. Yes, we are the friend of God through Jesus Christ. And there's that aspect to the relationship. But there's also this other aspect to the relationship. That every man who saw him hit their face as fast as they could. Even John knew him. As a, as a man knows a man. And John had already seen him transfigured. But when John saw him transfigured again... Or saw him in his full glory again. He hit his face again. We, we, we need to understand this. I, I'm afraid, as we talked about at length last year, that much modern church has forgotten this. So God comes asking questions, not answering. Don't you love it? If you're going to question God, can I tell you it's a fool's errand? Can I advise against it? I've heard preachers say, oh, yeah, it's great. To, no, it's no problem. You can question God. I counsel you not to question God. I counsel you to be still before God and let him be sovereign in your life. And you can pray up and throw up all your pain and anguish to him, knowing that Romans 8.28 is true every day. He's working for good. Now, if you don't believe that, just stop saying you're a Christian. If you don't believe that God is always working for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose, if you don't believe that, then stop calling yourself a Christian because you're blaspheming God when you wring your hands and whine when it gets hard. I'm not saying that, that we don't grieve. Of course we grieve. That's different than whining and wringing your hands. Okay? Thank you understand the difference. God doesn't come to answer Job, he comes to give himself to Job. That's what we're going to see happen very, very soon. It reminded me of you know Romans 9 20. When you know Paul's having a theoretical rhetorical argument with a with a detractor, and he says there, you know, who are you, old man, who answers back to God with a thing mold? Not say to the motor, why did you make me like this? Does the potter not have the right to do whatever he pleases? Of course he does. Beloved, there's always poverty. There's always spiritual poverty in the why questions. Now, if you have a why question, come to me. But God does not answer most of because you're supposed to default to who God is. You're not supposed to need to know God. You're supposed to default to who God 
God is. So Job's creator comes to him. He says, hey, you, you don't have what it takes to break me. Infinite mind against two and a half pounds of gray matter. You do not have what it takes to talk on my level. So if you're calling God to account, if you're demanding God's explanation in your life, if you're questioning God, I counsel against it. And here's what I like to say about it. And, and if you think about it, you, you get it. You agree. I wouldn't trade one revelation of God for 10,000 explanations. Next time you want to bombard God with why questions, I want you to remember that. I wouldn't trade one revelation of God for 10,000 explanations. I think that's good counsel. So Job said, man, I desire to argue with God. I'm going to give full vent to my complaint. Oh, I wish I knew where he was that I could present my case. And then God shows up. God shows up. And what does Job say here in chapter 40? Uh, verse 3 there. And Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am insignificant. Now, this is where we need to be. This is where we always need to be. Whether we're on the mountaintop or in the, the depth of the valley, right? Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Amen. Once I, once I have spoken and I, I will not answer even twice and I will add no more. He's on his face with his hand on his mouth. I think this is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. Job is out of his league. He's out of his league. He needs to shut up and humble himself before he's okay. You know, I had a guy say to me one time, you know, I have complaints against God. Uh, I have reasons to complain against God. I thought to myself, this God who gave you everything, this God who gave you life, who gave you a functioning brain, a healthy body. You know, again, I looked it up last week. Because remember, I, I challenged you, how many cells do you have in your body? How many? I looked it up. He gave you 37 function, 37 trillion functioning cells. And you want to complain against God because two things aren't right? Really? It just, it just shows how superficial and, and, and dull we are. Do we ever allow any thought into our mind that accuses God of unrighteousness and accuses God of unfairness when he has bled out? It's like you've you got to connect the dots, beloved. You've got to connect the dots. You're blaming God, but wait a minute, he bled out so you won't spend eternity in hell. And you're blaming God because you, you're, you're, you know, I don't know, you lost your job or your portfolio is gone or, or, you know, someone close to you died and you're blaming God. These things ought not be so. God has come to give himself to Job. I love what what one of my, well, my mentor said to me one time. Uh, it was a difficult time. He said, he said, you know what God's doing? Not only is God going to show himself to you again in a new way, it's giving you a story. <laughs> I love that. He's giving you a story. Now, he will be faithful in the trial. And you can share that story with others. Chapter 42, let's finish up. Two through six. Job says, Chapter 42, 2 through 6. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Obviously, he's talking to God. 
Who is this that I is counsel without knowledge? Again, that's the rebuke that God gave to Job. Therefore, I declare that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What is he saying? Through this trial, I've learned more of God. What do you say? This is the expectation you're supposed to have. If you're in the fire, oh, guess what? God's on his way. We're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to know this. Count it all joy when various trials come to you. James chapter one, something. And then he repeats this rebuke again. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Again, God's rebuke to him earlier. Verse five. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent of those actions. Do you see what Job got in the fire? In the storm? He got a personal visitation and revelation from God that he had not had before. He says, man, I've seen things now. I've seen things now that are too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. Obviously, biblically, literally, had a seminary professor who went through a lengthy and debilitating depression and could not get up. And I like, I love to listen to him talk about. It. He said it was a benevolent trial. He, he, he called it a giving, a giving. I think I saw this from C.S. Lewis. God will not be distracted with your temporal happiness. He loves you too much. Lewis says, God will take endless trouble and doubtless give endless trouble to give himself. Beautiful. Beautiful thought. So God always has his hands on his children. He will not long allow his children to entertain trivial notions about him. He's going to bring you to the place where Job said, Now my eye sees you. And harkening back to, to Luke chapter 22, verse 32. One there that I shared with you earlier. When when Jesus turned to Peter, he said, he said, sickness remanded to sit you like weeping. Who knows the key to that passage right there? Who knows the key solution to that passage? Anybody know? Elaine knows because she said it to me. What happened, Elaine? Jesus said, But I have prayed for you. Romans 8, he intercedes. When the storm comes, you're supposed, this is the first thing you should think about. My God is interceding. The second member of the Trinity and the third member of the Trinity are interceding with the Father for me right now. Beloved, if you can get this, if this can become real to you, you're going to be like Teflon. Okay? You're going to be like Teflon in the spiritual realm. And you're going to be a huge testimony to everyone around. If God is sufficient in the biggest kind of storm. So let's finish. We left that beautiful young woman in that diving accident before, fast forward 40. She writes, I didn't leave my desperation back in the hospital 40 years ago. Desperation is part of being quadriplegic every day. Each morning, a girlfriend comes to help her get ready for the day. She says, she writes, 
There's so many mornings I hear my girlfriend coming to the front door and I think I can't do this. I can't do quadriplegia anymore. I don't have any resource for this. For this. And God says, I'll do this. She remembers her biblical theology. She expects God to give her what she needs. And oh, guess what he does? You know, it's blasphemy to be in the middle of the storm. Not to expect God to give you what you need. Now, now. Yeah, I know we, 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 we talk at a little higher level in this church than most churches. I'm saying God expects you to, to, to yeah, anticipate his supply in the storm. Even though you don't see the supply yet, God expects you to anticipate it. I know it's coming. I know he's coming. I know he has a deliverance for me. Here's a woman who's been a quadriplegic before. Right? And when I, every time I read her story, I think to myself, I'm so convicted how pathetic I am about some of the problems I think I have. Right? And here's this woman, right? And there are countless other examples, but here's this woman who's been a quadruple since she was 17 years old. So who knows who I'm talking about? Anybody? Anybody know the woman? Famous woman in America? And she does a worldwide ministry. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. She's now 72. Let me just give you a list of, let me just give you some bullet points off her resume. She wanted to die when she was 17. She just didn't think she could handle it. She's written over 40 books. One was an international bestseller. She's a radio host, an international conference speaker. She has an international ministry to the disabled, Wheels for the World. She started an autobiographical movie of her life. She, she has recorded several musical albums and has won, uh, no, she has sang a song that was nominated for an Oscar. She says this, God used her suffering to sandblast her to the core that she might be better bonded to Jesus. I love that. She said, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. I actually saw a quote from her this week. This was another thing that pushed me the joke. She saw, I saw this quote from her this week. She says, the first thing I plan to do on resurrection legs is to drop to my grateful glorified knees. I love that. Now here's a woman who understands about God. In Job 7, 20, which we didn't cover, Job complains to God. He says, why have you set me as your target? He didn't know he was a target of God's love. I heard someone say one time, we need to thank God for the singing we bad and the singing we good, but really we don't know where it is. Seems bad in a triple sense. God expects you to think like this. He expects me to think like this. I know often it's not the first thought that occurs to us. We need this is why I think I should preach Job once a year. You got to be ready to fall to your knees and worship God. God says, Here I am. You decided to trust me instead. So I ask you a close like this Will you trust God? Will you follow God? Will you believe God? When it gets hard, 
I still miss your Piper. Sometimes God will let his children totter to see if they will fall upon him. Will you? Will you? And it's him. Say, Jim, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Well, listen, you're an adult. You know what's coming. It's coming. If you have any biblical knowledge on you, it's coming. The trial's coming. It's coming. God wants for us to be ready. Let's pray.